Amen. So we are starting our series called Emotional Intelligence. I believe that Christians should be world leaders in a number of different areas. We should be champions on this planet and other people should look to us in certain areas. One of those areas would be love. If people want to know what it means to love, they should look to the Christians. If people on the outside of the Christian world want to know what it means to love your neighbor, they should say, well, we know who's doing that well. It's the Christians. Let's look and see how they're doing it. If people on the outside want to know, how do you love your brother? How do you love the people that are in your group, the believers? They should look to us for that. Even loving your enemy. Is loving your enemy a challenge? If we got as good at it as the Scriptures say we should be, then the outside world would think, okay, they can love their enemy. It can be done. How do they do that? We should be world leaders in loving our neighbor, loving our brother, loving our enemy, and of course, loving our God. We should be world leaders in that. We should be world leaders in the capacity to forgive. Forgiveness as a process. Amen? People talk about it like it's a choice. And there are choices involved. But let me tell you, it's a process of getting there, isn't it? You can, you can want to forgive, but you don't have the ability to forgive. You try, but you don't succeed. Have you ever been there? One time I was in a particular situation and it was just a work situation. It wasn't even like ridiculously close. It was a work situation. It took me a year to get to true forgiveness to where I knew, oh, this has actually happened. You know, I've, I have forgiven. Hallelujah. This doesn't have a grip on me anymore. It took me a year and that was just work. It's difficult to do, but we as believers should be world leaders in the capacity to forgive. Jesus was able to forgive while things were happening. Remember, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Egregious sins committed against Him, and He was already prepared to forgive before that even happened. And so while it was happening, He was able to release it and forgive. We should be world leaders in humility and the willingness to serve others. Amen? The Christian believer should be an example to the world of humility and willingness to serve others. We should be world leaders in these areas, and I believe we should be world leaders in emotional health as well. We should have something inside of us that is solid and unshakable. We should have an inner strength, an inner peace, an inner joy that is from Almighty God Himself. We should be world leaders in emotional health. How are we doing? Well, I don't know. I got saved in 1988. And in the, in the late 80s and the 90s, it seemed like one of the commissions that Christians felt was really important was they felt, it seemed to me, 
if you if you got saved in the 70s, you'd probably have a different perspective of it, you know, when it was in the 80s and 90s. But I was new. I came from the outside. And it seemed to me that Christians felt ready to be offended at any second. They're just so easily offendable in the 80s and 90s. Do you guys remember that? Some people are like, I don't know. Tell you what, in my world, I, I grew up outside the church. There wasn't a whole lot of people being offended. I went into the church and into the Christian world and it's like, man, there was a lot of people mad about what other people were doing. They were very easily offended. And I think that's an emotional weakness. Did you know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Yeah, we already know that, right? So when we see it happen, should we be shocked? No, it should not be a big surprise. We already know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we see that in actual practice with somebody in front of us, we shouldn't be thrown for a loop like it's some big shock. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Might that happen again? Yeah. Should we be prepared for that and ready to love, ready to forgive, ready to, to show something other than, you know, being offended? I think we should be ready. The easily offendedness thing, that's not good. Did you know clergy, pastors and the like, are one and a half times more likely to be depressed than the general population? One and a half times more likely to be depressed than the general population. Now, if the general population produces 800,000 suicides a year, and clergy are one and a half times more likely to be depressed than that group, do we have a problem? Yes, we have a problem. Because the leaders of the movement of Christianity should be people who have the joy of the Lord in their heart. We should be excited to be alive. But, that's not what the research has shown. Duke University did a big study. Christianity Today covered it along with other people. Clergy are one and a half times more likely to be depressed than the general population. That's a problem. And man, there's all kinds of other stuff going on in the church. Have you seen emotional issues cause problems in the church world? People being being touchy, you can't say something because what are they going to think and all this sort of thing and you can't quite move forward how you'd want to. That's a problem. That's an issue. Now, I am firmly convinced that we are to have an emotionally rich life. We are not called to be emotionless. Uh, as we go through the series, we're going to talk about the emotions of God. Did you know we serve an emotional God? We serve a God that is very emotional, but emotionally healthy. Not, not emotionally unintelligent. Rich, deep feeling. Our God is deeply emotional. And so... We should not shun emotions, but we should be intelligent in our emotions. They've done a bunch of research on emotional intelligence and, and they found that 
emotional intelligence is more significant in predicting whether or not a person will be successful in life than IQ is, than intellectual uh, ability. And that is because, let's say that you're super good at what you do, but every three months you just get all mad and you quit your job. Are you ever going to get anywhere? No, you're done. You're going to start over every three months. Doesn't matter how good at it you are, you're going to you're going to disengage. And so, emotional intelligence is much much more significant than even intellectual ability. So, if we're going to be good at being Christians, if we're going to succeed at advancing the kingdom of God, we've got to be emotionally intelligent. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you're on board with that because that's where we're going to go. And uh, let's. Read some scriptures, but let me give you the, the main point of the sermon this morning, and that is this. The inner battle for our emotions is a battle that we have a right to win. The inner battle for our emotions is a battle that we have a right to win. We're not imposing this on God. This isn't something that's just made up by us. The inner battle for your emotions is a battle you have a right to win. And so let's look at some scriptures and get a grasp of this. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Here the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Philippi and they were having some issues. There was some squabbling. People were having you know, issues with one another and things like that. And so... Paul is dealing with that, and here's what he has to say. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So he's saying, if you're getting this at all, if following Christ is something you're catching on to, even the slightest bit, would you do this for me? That's what he's saying. If, you got, if you're catching it at all, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. That is like being on the same team, thinking in the same way, being, being uh, one in purpose, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. So this would be the opposite of what he's wanting. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, is it okay to look to your own interests? Absolutely. He says, but that's not all you should look to. You can take care of yourself. That's fine. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here it is. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. There's an expectation on the believer. And that is that your attitude would be the same. The same means the same. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Could this verse keep us busy for the rest of our lives? Absolutely. <laughs> This verse could keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Now, 
I like the word should in this verse. Some people don't like the word should because they think it puts, uh, you know, expectations on them. Oh, I, you know, should. Well, I'm going to live my life. Don't give me a should. But look at that. Your attitude should be. Is this my idea? Pastor Mike's come up with a new theology that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's not my idea. Is it your idea? No, whose idea is it? This is God's idea. God's idea is that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's God's idea. You could even say it's God's plan for your attitude to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, if God has a plan for us, what can we do then? We can believe for it to come to pass. We need to stand in faith and fight the battle of faith so that we can apprehend what God has for us. And God's plan is that our attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Is that good news or is that a heavy burden? Do a thought experiment with me here. Daydream with me for just a second. What would it be like? What would it feel like? For your attitude to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What would your daily life feel like if that was your attitude? Would this be an attitude of fear and anxiety? Would this be an attitude of depression and just a sense of gloom and worthlessness? No. Would you feel unworthy and just like, why in the world am I even here in the first place? No. If your attitude was the same as that of Christ Jesus, this would be a place of peace. This would be a place of joy. This would be a place of security with who you are as a person. Do you think Jesus was insecure about who He was? Not at all. Wouldn't it be great to have that attitude about who you are? This is an incredible blessing. This is not a heavy burden. This is a blessing to reach out for. This is something to have faith for because, oh man, to have that attitude. Wouldn't that be great? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read a little bit more about this sort of an idea. We're going to end up in the verse that says, We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. How does he get there? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Now let me ask you this question. Was the church in Corinth good at being Christians? Boy, they had they had division among themselves. They were fighting with each other. They had sin in the camp and they were perfectly happy about it. They, um, they were wild and out of order. Paul said, your meetings do more harm than good. So, if this stuff can be true for the Corinthian church, could it be true for us? 
if, if they're able to receive some of these incredible blessings from God, might we be able to do it? Let's look and see what Paul is talking about here. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Have you heard that before? That we just won't know, we can't know the great things God has in store for us. But what's the next verse? But God has revealed it to us. What, what Paul is saying is, yeah, okay, your mind can't understand it, but it has been revealed to you, not by your understanding, but by the Holy Spirit of God. You can grab hold of this. You can feel this. You can know this because you can know it by the Spirit of God. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Go ahead. <clears throat> For who among men know the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So, what Paul is expressing here is that we have a connection with Almighty God that is powerful. If you have given your life to Christ, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Savior means that you have trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, that what Jesus did on the cross is enough to forgive your sins, and Lord means that He is your higher power. He is the authority in your life. If Jesus says, do this, you say, yes, sir. That's what Lord means. So if Jesus says, love your, love your neighbor, what do we do? We love our neighbor. We don't say, well, you don't know my neighbor. You know, and come up with some big reason why we're going to ignore what our Lord is telling us to do. If He says jump, we say how high. He is our God. <laughs> we obey our God. What Paul is saying is the spirit inside of a person knows what's going on in that person. And it's kind of hard to know what's going on inside somebody else. Let alone know what's going on inside of God. Right? But the spirit of God knows what's going on inside of God. And where is the spirit of God for the believer? The Spirit of God is in us. We receive the Holy Spirit when we believe. And we can get deeper and deeper in the things of the Spirit. We can grow in that. But Paul is saying, pick it up again, a little bit of overlap. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. So Paul is saying, we have received the Holy Spirit so that we can get it, so that we can feel it, so that we can know these incredible riches that God has given us. We can feel it. We can know. Have you ever had just that sense of the presence of God and the love of God come upon you and you're just like, oh, He likes me. 
That's what this is. You can understand it. Not because somebody told you something, but because the Holy Spirit of God in you is showing you this. And what an amazing relationship we have with the Creator of the universe that He would send His Spirit to indwell within us. That's a common theology, but understanding the implications of it are just profound. The Holy Spirit within us. Let's keep going. This is, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. So here, Paul's getting all Pentecostal. He's talking basically about speaking in tongues and, and saying things that people aren't going to understand. Spiritual truths expressed in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. I uh, became a believer in 1990, uh, 1988. I became a Pentecostal believer in 1995. There were seven years of my thinking, that's foolishness. And I was a, a, an individual who had kind of a negative attitude at, anyway. And so I thought, man, you know, like speaking in tongues and all that stuff, that's just goofy. You know, and talk about fakeable. You know what I mean? Like, at least fake me a decent miracle. You know, do do something, make it, make something happen that I can see. But you're just going to babble and tell me it's a miracle? You know, come on! Anybody can do that. Give me something I can hold on to. You know, so I didn't even think it was a good thing to fake. It was foolishness to me because I didn't understand it. And then afterwards, it was still a little like, um, okay. I'm going to have to grow in this. Understand it a little better. But that's, that's what this is talking about. And this is something that's going to be very important if we are going to win the inner battle for our emotions is we are going to need the Holy Spirit to touch us. And we're going to need that miracle. And we're going to have to embrace and receive it. If we don't, we're on our own. And if, if you've walked with God and you've decided to walk on your own, you know you're in trouble when you're on your own. We need the power of God. So, it can seem like foolishness to certain people because they can't understand it because it's spiritually discerned. Let's go to 15. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may be instructed, that he may... Instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you've received the Spirit from God. You've received the understanding of God. And it's not just the intellectual understanding, it's the emotional understanding. It's the, the, the way of God in all of His thoughts. We have received that Spirit in us so we have the mind of Christ. Because we have the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing? What I find amazing is that we have the mind of Christ is written to the Corinthians. Do you think the Corinthians had the mind of Christ? 
Let's just read the very next few verses. Very next verse. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. So he's saying, okay, we have the mind of Christ. I can't address you as spiritual. You're just worldly. Isn't that like a direct contradiction? The one verse he says, you have the mind of Christ. That is amazingly spiritual, right? The very next verse, this is the very next verse. He said, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? So he's saying, you got divisions in you. That is not from the Holy Spirit. you got jealousy and quarreling among you. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is not the mind of Christ in you. That's something different. So he tells them you have the mind of Christ, and then he shows them that by their behavior and by their attitudes, they do not have the mind of Christ. What is going on with that? Well, I'll explain it. As we talked about before, when Paul says, we have the mind of Christ, that's a statement of faith. It's true in the Spirit. And it's in the process of coming to pass in the natural. Do you think the Corinthians had made progress in their walk with God over the past five years? Absolutely, they'd made progress. They had some issues, some pretty significant issues, but I'm telling you, they made progress. There was no church in that town 50 years before. Things were happening it was There was progress happening. They were coming into that place of having the mind of Christ, but they had a whole lot of deficiencies yet. And so Paul was telling them what's true in the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that they have the mind of Christ. And then he's saying, now actually have it. Don't have jealousy and quarreling. This is what belongs to you. Grab hold of it. So it's a statement of faith. The provision is there. The truth is there in the Spirit. And they needed to get a hold of it in the natural. And man, a whole lot of us are in that same boat. We need to get a hold of what's true in the Spirit and get it in us. So the whole point of all this is that if we are going to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, if we are going to have the mind of Christ, it's going to take a miracle from God. And so, whenever something takes a miracle from God, it's good to give some examples, and I'm going to give you two examples. One, my father-in-law, and the other one is me. My father-in-law, when he was 13, his mom died, and then, subsequently, his dad remarried, and so he had a stepmom. And him and his stepmom did not get along at all. You know, sometimes family relationships can be difficult. Apparently, it was bad. I wasn't around at that time. But from what he says, it was bad. And he says she was a nasty, evil human being. Now, there's always two sides to every story, but he's a pretty honest guy. And he said she was just bad. And she didn't like him, and he didn't like her. And the relationship got worse and worse and worse. And there was deep resentment between the two because they're basically fighting over the affections of this man 
his dad, her husband, they're competing over this guy and getting mad at each other. And so my father-in-law was dealing with this and he just, he got bitter, he got angry, he got more and more negative and he knew this was a problem that needed to be solved. He's going to have to deal with this. And so he just went to the Lord in prayer because he could tell this was eroding his relationship with the Lord and it wasn't right and it needed to be dealt with. So he went to the Lord in prayer and this is what he prayed. He said, Lord, I don't like her at all. And I know I'm supposed to love her. I don't know how to do that. Would you show me what she looks like to you? Would you, would you show me how you love her? And he said that he got a glimpse. And he got to see the love of God for her. And he said it was so powerful, he had to break off his prayer time and walk away. It was so strong. He had to shake it off because it was so powerful. And he never saw her the same ever again. He was able to love her because of the Holy Spirit in him showing the mind of Christ, showing the attitude of the Lord towards her. He was able to catch it. For me, when I got saved, as I think I mentioned already, I was grumpy. I was a grumpy new Christian. I came from the outside. I didn't come from Christian circles. And so... A lot of the Christian things I thought were just ridiculous. You know, I, I thought they were like, I can't believe you are the people who are holding the truths of the living God. You know, like, you guys, what? I just thought it was ridiculous. Um, my, the, the way I said it most often was, you've taken the Alpha and the Omega and made him a cartoon character. How can you do that to my Jesus? You know, and I was mad. Uh, because you know, the Alpha and the Omega is not a cartoon character. He is magnificent and holy and incredible beyond our ability to understand. We should, we should be in the presence of the living God in awe and reverence. Not... Anyway. He's God. I thought, you make him a cartoon character? What's, you know... And I'm ready to fight, you know? And I... Trinette can tell you stories about all the mean things I said coming home from church every time, ripping the sermon apart, and all these problems I had. And uh, I didn't care how many good things were said. If I could find one thing that was wrong, boom, I took it. Uh, and God touched me. I won't tell the whole story. I've told it before. But the Holy Spirit hit me, and all that anger and bitterness and condemnation and judgment that was in my heart just broke away. And a love and a compassion for these people who honestly were just trying to do the best they can. And they're imperfect and messed up, but they're, they're, they're doing something. A love for them came in and that has not changed. And that was almost 20 years ago. And I can work with goofed up Christians, no problem. No problem. Not an issue. And, and you know, because if 
if you're not able to work with goofed up Christians, you're going to be alone. Right? That's right. And you think you're not goofed up, but guess what? This is a miracle, but it's a miracle we have a right to expect. To have our attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. For a man to have love for his stepmom. For a young man to have a heart change towards a bunch of people trying to serve God. But boy, man, there's a lot of room for improvement. Amen? For those attitudes and understandings to change, it takes touch from God. And you can have that touch from God too. And we can have more and more of them as time goes on and grow and develop into the mind of Christ, into having the same attitude as uh, the Lord Jesus. Let's talk about what emotional intelligence is. I'm going to give you kind of five elements of emotional intelligence from Daniel Gorman, who wrote the book Emotional Intelligence, which is a fine book, but it's not a Christian book at all. Uh, just trying to tell you this is what they figure emotional intelligence is. And then let's line Jesus up along that and see how he does. Let's see if he's emotionally intelligent or not. Okay, so here's the five elements. Number one is self-awareness. The capacity to know what you're feeling and to be able to articulate it and talk about it. So self-awareness. I'm angry right now. I'm feeling afraid right now. Uh, I'm feeling threatened right now. Whatever it is, having the capacity to know what you're feeling and talk about it. Number two is self-regulation. That's the ability to control or redirect your feelings. Have you ever not felt like going to work? And you're like, oh, I'm just going to go. And you just go. You redirect. You change that feeling. You overcome it. And you do something different. That's uh, element number two. The ability to redirect your feelings. Number three is internal motivation. External motivation is, I will give you money if you do this. I will give you an award if you do this. <laughs> that sort of thing. External motivation. Internal motivation is, hey, this is worth doing. I'm going to do it. It's, it comes from the inside. Internal motivation instead of external motivation. While all this stuff is listed on the small group notes at the info table, if you want to grab that, you can write it down, but uh, it's all over there too. Number four is empathy. The ability to understand what other people are feeling. That's an element of emotional intelligence. Be able to recognize what's going on with you, and then realize, oh, that's probably going on with them too. And know what they're feeling because you understand what it's like to be in those circumstances. You recognize the facial expressions. You can empathize. And number five is social skills. Proficiency in managing relationships and building networks, finding common ground, building rapport, that sort of a thing. So that's putting empathy into practice, social skills. So, self-awareness, self-regulation, internal motivation, empathy, and social skills. By that definition, how do you think Jesus would do on a scale of emotional intelligence? I think He'd be perfect. I think He would, he would be the standard, which is what we would expect. Amen? I think... He was well able to empathize with other people and understand what they were thinking. 
He was well able to work social networks. He was well able to redirect even his own feelings. Did he want to go to the cross? There was a, there was a time where he said to the Father, would you take this from me? There's got to be another way. And the Father said, no. And then if you read into the text, Jesus, the way he prayed sounded a little different. He said, well, then give me the strength to do it. Give me the strength to get through this. And he got the strength to get through it. Redirection of changing of his emotions. And he knew he was doing something worth doing. It wasn't that he was now going to be recognized. It was this is worth doing. Saving humanity is worth doing. Setting people free from sin is worth doing. Our Jesus is emotionally intelligent as far as can get. And we have the mind of Christ. We can have this. This is something that we have a right to expect. We have a right to win the, the internal battle for our emotions. Does that mean it's simple? Not simple, but we have a right to win. We can grab hold of it. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to close. You have a right to win this inner battle if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now is the time to do that. Now is the time to say, yes, I will trust you for the forgiveness of my sins, and yes, I will make you my God. Prayer team is here. You can pray with them. They'll pray for you for whatever. If it's if it's to become a, a believer and a follower of Christ, they'll pray with you for that. If you've got a physical need, an emotional need, a relational need, a financial need, you just want to be blessed in prayer, they will pray with you. But what would it be like to have the mind of Christ? What an incredible blessing that would be. To be that secure in who you are. To be that full of faith and free from fear. To be that strong. To have the mind of Christ. As we close, I want you to think, what do I need from God in order to win the inner battle of my emotions? My father-in-law needed love for his stepmother. I needed love for the greater body of Christ. What do you need? Where is that battle in your heart raging? Where do you need to have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ in your heart? Ask the Lord, you may already know, and believe to receive that miracle. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you don't leave us here to do the best we can, but you guide us. Lord, you guide us by your word, you guide us by your spirit. Let us receive, Lord, for each one in here that is fighting that battle, and we all fight it. 
Lord, I pray that you would show them what they need to gain victory in that battle. If it's victory over anxiety and fear or low self-esteem, low self-worth, whatever it is, show them what it is. If it's an ability to forgive in a situation, if it's the ability to love someone, show them. Lord, give them the faith to ask for it. Lord, help us to receive of your Spirit so that we can become who you want us to be. Bless us, Lord. For those who are going to come up for prayer, I pray just a special touch from you, Lord, that good things would happen at this altar. Lord, that your power would be shown and that mighty things would happen. And Lord, for those who are departing, I pray your spirit would go with us, that your light would shine in our hearts and overflow to our world. So bless us, Lord, and help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can come on down for prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord. Have a wonderful day today.